Let's pray together. Ever-present God, as we wait for you in this hour and this season, open us up to understand the ways that you wait with us. Amen. Waiting is about time, precious time. That tricky thing that gets away from us when we aren't paying attention. That mysterious thing that can go so slow when we're hurting or lonely. And so fast when we're having fun. That holy thing that we don't have enough of in the month of December. I find that I look at time a little differently now that I'm in my late 60s than I did when, in, when I was in my 20s or my 40s. It's, it's sort of funny how the closer you get to that unknown finish line, that starts to happen. A while back, I stopped using the phrase, kill time. As in, oh, you know, I've got 15 minutes before I have to leave for my appointment, so I'm going to kill some time playing a game on my tablet. I'll still play the game. But now I say, let me fill some time. Because I've learned that time is too precious to kill. The time between one activity and another between one hoped-for event and the next one, is precious in its own right. Those minutes are a -a once-in-a-lifetime gift. When we're waiting for something, the time of waiting has its own worth. The time in between has its own value. And it gives us a chance to get ready for the anticipated event. Advent is a special time, a season for waiting, a time to remember what we wait for, a time for reminding us to get ready already, and a time to think about how we fill the wait as we wait for Jesus. When I was a little girl, store-bought ice cream was a real luxury. Now, we had plenty of good food from my parents' huge garden. We had lots of delicious desserts from my mother's kitchen. But we didn't have much extra cash. And so for our family of seven to drive to town for an ice cream cone, that was a really rare treat. And it happened a lot less than I wanted it to. So I was full of excitement one summer evening when Daddy said that when he and Mama were done working in the garden, we could go out for ice cream. I was impatiently filling the time, sitting, as I recall, in the swing under the oak tree, looking up at the sky. And as I did that, I got this scary thought. 
Oh no! What if Jesus came back before we got to town? You see, our expectation was that real in those days. In those days, we rather often, I think, heard sermons about the second coming of Christ that made it hard to look at a big puffy cloud without thinking that this might be the one Jesus came in on. Those sermons assured us that we couldn't know the time, but it really might be now. Well, I'm not going to preach one of those sermons because the scriptures about that have too much mystery for me to be able to do that. But I am going to talk about Jesus coming again and how it might be now. The people of God have been waiting for salvation for a long, long time. Isaiah's words, from which our responsive reading were taken, were written to Jerusalem, a troubled city that was surviving at the whim of foreign powers where religion had become self-serving rather than God-honoring. Yet he proclaims that there will come a day, not yet, but it's going to come, when people from all over the world will come to Jerusalem because that's where God is. That's where the Lord is. And they're going to come because they want to learn from the Lord. And as they learn from the Lord, they're going to learn about making peace instead of war. They're going to stop studying war. The early Christians for whom our Matthew scripture was written. We're dealing with questions about who was this Messiah? Who was this Jesus they were following? And who who were they? And they needed assurance that in the end, this Jesus they were serving and perhaps suffering for would come back for them. God's kingdom would come and those who waited faithfully They would be rewarded. And we wait and wait. All these years later and peace still has not come to Jerusalem. All these years later and Jesus still hasn't come with that trumpet sound to separate the good from the bad. God, what are you waiting for? Can we really expect a time when God triumphs? Should we keep waiting? What are we waiting for? And where is Jesus when we need him? Do we have any reason for hope in our waiting? A number of years ago, I was going through a really difficult emotional time that left me depressed and anxious. So after struggling for a pretty long, miserable time on my own, thinking I should 
somehow get over this or figure it out. I went to see a therapist. It was my first session with her, and after carefully listening to me talk about what I was feeling and experiencing, she said to me, as I recall, you will get better. It might take a while, but you will get better. And her words for me were almost like magic. Now, it could have been discouraging to hear that it might take a while, but that's not what I heard. I heard that I would get better. And because she was the expert, right? She was the one I was paying to know these things. I believed her. And that believing gave me hope. It made all the difference in my waiting to feel better. That hope became a turning point for me. It gave me a foundation to do some important inner work that rather quickly, it seemed, helped me to find my way out of that really hard, miserable place to a much more life-giving one. Hope helps us to endure the weight. So how do we find hope in waiting for Advent? In this long waiting for things to get better already. In this waiting for Jesus. And how does hope that God will triumph shape this waiting, this in-between time. I believe a source of hope for us in waiting for Jesus to come is in seeing Jesus come already over and over again. Perhaps hope comes in the ways we see Christ come back, even while we wait for Christ to come back. You see, I think we have a clue about this in the Roman scripture, where Paul tells us that now is the moment to get ready. Now is the time. Salvation, he promises, is nearer than it has been, because the day is near. Therefore, we should, we should wake up and we should live like it's going to happen. And he suggests how we can fill the waiting time rather than kill the time. We can have hope and expectation. In the chapters leading up to this scripture, Paul has been teaching about what it means to have new life in Christ. He talks about Hospitality, about getting along with others, about living in harmony, about blessing our enemies, and having a debt of love. And that's when he then says, it's, then tells us to know what time it is. It's time to wake up, because salvation is near, and 
And because of that, he tells us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be Christ to one another. Christ is here already. You know that. Recognize the presence. Be Jesus to one another. I see Jesus here. When I hear you talking to one another with love and respect, even when you don't agree, I see Jesus now when I see you forgiving each other for hurts and misunderstandings and confronting each other with courage and yet with love and a willingness to listen. I see Jesus when I see you going for a week of MDS, when I see you farming in ways that respect the earth, when I see you calling Congressman Smooker about immigration and cooking a meal for the community, visiting the York Detention Center or giving time to Chestnut Housing Board meetings, sharing what you could choose to keep. On and on I see Christ. The kingdoms of the world may not yet be studying peace, but I have hope when I see you doing it, when I see so many others in our community doing it. I have hope that things can get better because here in these times and these places and these nows, something is getting better. And Christ is made visible. Despite our brokenness, maybe even because of our brokenness, I see Christ returning each time I see you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The face of Christ already here. And Christ is already here in the face of those who allow us to be Christ to them. In his book, Barking to the Choir, Father Greg Boyle tells of a time when he was still a parish priest. And as I recall the story, it was a Sunday afternoon, and he and his fellow priest were finally done with all of the morning masses with greeting all of the needy people. They had had some lunch. The housekeeper had gone home. They went upstairs to sit in the parlor to finally relax and read the paper. And the doorbell rang downstairs. And neither of them felt like going downstairs and seeing one more needy person. So they waited for each other, you know, the way you do when the phone rings and you wait for each other. But finally, the other priest got up and he went downstairs and he answered the door and he was gone for quite a while. And then he came back and sat down quietly and picked up his book to read or his paper. And Father Greg was very curious. So finally he had to say, so who was it? 
And the priest said, it was Jesus in one of his disguises. I want to point out that it was in the very same teaching session about the end of the age from which our Matthew scripture comes, where Jesus tells a story about that time when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And in this story, all the nations of the earth are gathered, and the righteous are pulled out of the crowd, and they are told that they get to inherit this kingdom. And they don't know why they're being rewarded. Why do they deserve this privilege? And the king tells them, well, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty. I was a stranger. I was naked. You met my needs. There was that time I was sick and you took care of me. And they threw me into prison and you visited. That was me you came to visit. Whenever you did it for one of the least of the members of my family, you did it to me. That was me in disguise. That was Christ you fed and clothed. Christ come to us now in the ones we serve. Christ is here. Recognize the presence. For me, I don't know how it is for you, for me, it's not so hard to see Christ coming back in the actions of the one who does the serving, right? The one who puts on the Lord Jesus. You know, people like us when we're serving so well. I find it much harder to understand the mystery of Christ here now in the one who wears the disguise of the hungry or the thirsty or the strange or the vulnerable. I don't even know how to explain that. But I do know that in that first advent, that first advent involved a poor family with a helpless baby who would quickly become homeless wanderers in a farm land, and Jesus suggests that we find him again in those who share those characteristics. And if we actually see Christ in those we're invited to serve and take the time to understand and know who people really are so that we can recognize the spark of God in them including in ourselves, in our own brokenness, in our own hungry and thirsty times, if we actually see Christ in those others, does that not bring us all closer to that time of salvation for which we wait? Seeing and being the presence of Christ, already come, even in the most expected times and places and certainly faces, gives meaning and purpose to our waiting, gives hope and fulfillment to our expectation.
It makes the most of this precious in-between time. And so we wait for Christ. And Christ is here waiting with us. Thank you for being Christ to me. May you find hope. May you see Jesus in your waiting. Even so, Lord Jesus, come.